realize this. You did because I reminded you. But uh, you're about to hear the 100th message delivered by me at this church. <laughs> I, I wasn't doing it for that. So I was going to... About 100 candles. This will probably be the only time this is ever used in my family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing that little tongue-in-cheek because it's... I mean, it's 100 services. I mean, that doesn't just mean 100 of these sermons. That's not funny. <laughs> it also means... A hundred responsive readings. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to start talking to him. <laughs> he appreciates my humor. A hundred times singing happy birthday. And if you think about it, it's over 500 worship and praise songs we've sung together in just the last year, almost two years. So, And nothing really magical happens at a hundred, right? Nothing, not a big deal. You know, maybe the jokes start to get better. <laughs> Where were you on that one, little man? <laughs> But I honestly don't believe anything special happens at 100, and it's certainly interesting to note it was, and, and, and it's kind of a benchmark in my service to the Lord in this specific role. I'm like, 100, okay, I don't, I don't know what that means, but there's been 100, and, but isn't life full of these notable moments, right? Um, go ahead and click the, the slide there. Look at this thing. This used to strike fear in our hearts, the odometer turning 100,000 miles, right? Because what happens next? The car magically falls apart at 100 thousand miles plus one no a car doesn't know it does not care how many miles it is it's just a number it's just a revolution one more digit spinning on the odometer but it's interesting to note my car is a hundred thousand miles and now it's not uncommon to have two hundred thousand miles right right and, and and you sit there and you go hey this piece of junk's holding it together yay or maybe you think time to trade it in or maybe you got a young kid that would just be happy to have a car with 100,000 miles on and just pass it down to them. You know, just in case it does fall apart at 101 of them. But let's <laughs> flip that again. Mile marker sign. What about this image? You know, it just tells you where you are, relatively speaking. On this highway, you're 419.9 miles from most likely one of the borders. And, and I guess if you want to busy your brain, you can do the math and figure out how much further you need to go. And I tell you what, I, I wish... I thought of this years ago, but my daughter, who's a math whiz, I could have really squelched the, are we there yet now, by just saying, huh, you know, we're at, we're at sign uh, 419, and we started at 215, and we're going to 253, Aubrey. You tell me if we're there yet. And she'll just sit there, and I'll get a good couple minutes of quiet. In fact, you could even make it a little more complex and say, if I'm driving 65 miles an hour, how long is it going to take us? <laughs> now all they do is just hit the GPS button, and then... But um, anyway, I, I'm not suggesting that. In fact, Scripture is very specific. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And to that, I just say, they started it, right? <laughs> Let me digress. But there are periods of time that we recognize, like milestone birthdays, right? I found this image online. You know, sweet 16, again, referring to my wonderful daughter. I don't remember her being that sweet at 16. 18 and legal, that's what it says. Great, right now it's one more person you have to worry about how they vote, right? Or, or for my son, you know, he, they still do selective service. They still, they still do that. 21, buy me a drink. Now I'm thinking about my daughter grin. The answer is no, don't buy my daughter a drink. And that says 30. 30 is the new 21. Okay, she's 30. Now she can probably have her first drink. I'm being naive. 40 never looks so good. Well, that's probably because and I'm over 40, if you hadn't guessed. I haven't looked at myself critically in the mirror since I, was, I got married, so 40 doesn't actually sound so bad to me. But it goes on from there. Go ahead. 
And then look at this slide. It's just kind of some milestone years. Throw some up there. And, and there are moments of time. We tend to classify them by things like decades, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. And let's be honest, after the 80s, they stopped making good music and good movies, didn't they? Yeah. But we also have moments in time. These are the dates that define, that are events that define the date. So shout out, July 4th, 1776, right? Declared our independence. Here's another one, October 24th, 1929. Stock market crash, yeah, yeah. December 7th, 1942, Pearl Harbor. November 22nd, 1963, Kennedy assassination, yeah. July 16, 1969, first foot on, man puts foot on the moon, right? I'll jump ahead, July, or September 11th, 2001, yeah, yeah, right? These are events that shape generations. For the baby boomers, this is the post-World War II when the nation was feeling strong and hopeful they'd survive the Great Depression and, and they'd been victorious in the Second World War and... Let's have babies. And then there's Generation X. And this is a generation that's largely raised with a lot of events or without a lot of these events. You know, we did not have a lot of these life-turning events that really unified the country. Like 9-11 is probably the closest in, in our lifetime. And millennials, this generation is thought to be overly nurtured and pampered by their parents. And that's probably said by all of us that are not a part of it. And... Um, and we just worry so much about the mistakes that we think we made or our parents made that we just over-protect, right? They have that term helicopter parent now. If you haven't heard that, that's the ones that don't let anything bad happen. These, this is the generation that gets participation awards that doesn't take score. Oh, anyway, go ahead and the next one. So back to benchmarks. And um, these things happen. And mo they're moments in time that influence and affect and absolutely change things. And I had planned this message to be titled Benchmarks. And that's what I asked uh, Terry to put on the sign out the Shaw Week. It said Benchmarks. And, and I was thinking about it, and the more I thought about it, it should be more accurately called Milestones. Because you see, a benchmark is a measure of performance. You've achieved this. You've hit this benchmark. And while there is a component of performance inferred, the definition of Milestone it's like a turning point or notable event. Some of these things, they're not just benchmarks, they're turning points in history and in our lives. So whether it's a benchmark or a, a milestone, in either case, the duration of time is not known. We don't know how long this event, this moment of time is going to last. In fact, um, that's what makes it so special along your personal journey is whatever you're going through, good or bad, that's your, that's your event and your story, and that, that's, uh, each step of that lasts however long it lasts for you. And the exact order of these events, you know, uh, along these benchmarks of faith, we'll call them, these milestones of faith, you know, the exact order is, is subject to debate, and different um, religions and denominations look at them a little differently, use some terminology, but there's some definite things happen as you mature in your relationship with Christ and you reach salvation. And a theologian wrote a dissertation noting that some of the differences between the various denominations in faith, and, and they, I think they can all be reconciled around Romans 8.30. I'm going to read that in just a second. But before I share that, let me read Romans 28 and 29 just to give you a little backstory. And this is from the Apostle Paul. He wrote, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now we've heard this before. It's encouraging, Right? God will take this mess, this accident, and he'll use it for his good purpose. He'll take care of you. But it goes on to describe us a little more detail. 
It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to his image of his son. Okay? That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now he's talking about us. So here's Roman 8.30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Right? Do you hear it? We have an orderly God. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He likes order and structure. 1 Corinthians 14.40 continues, But all things should be done decently and in order. With this in mind, we recognize an order to the path of salvation. And Paul described this process in the verse I read a moment ago. We're called according to his purpose. We're predestined to be conformed to Christ's image. So we're to be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And then in verse 30, it just lays it out. Predestined, called, justified, and then he glorified. Go ahead and flip that slide. And this is kind of what that looks like graphically. During this process and through the process of salvation, we are chosen and we are called and we're given a new life and we're converted and justified and adopted and sanctified, which is still happening, and glorified, which has not yet happened. I'm, taking, I'm going to take some time this morning to dive a little deeper into these progressive steps, these benchmarks, these milestones. And we've talked for the past few weeks about what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain. And last week specifically, we talked about how we get home. That is, how do we get our eternal home? How do we get to heaven from here, from where we're at? You know, with our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ and this great cloud of witnesses, Scripture describes it, which includes our friends and family that went ahead of us. I mean, isn't that like the bonus? We get to be with God and Jesus in his presence. But you know what? Every one of our friends and family that died that went on ahead of us that knew Christ is there. We get reunited. And we could certainly take a full Sunday and multiple study times to really get into the details. And I don't want to deny you the wisdom you should desire for yourself. So after I share this morning's message, I want to encourage you to study further on your own. And then maybe reflect on where you truly are along these order of milestones. And as I sought God's own words through scripture that support Paul's statement in Romans 8, I was amazed. I was really amazed by how much he, God, says through the scripture how much he says and promises regarding our order of salvation. It was incredible. I, I've selected just a, a couple of verses for this morning, but certainly not all. There's just so much Old Testament and New that supports this process and says this is the way God works to get you where he wants you to be, where you're supposed to be, which is glorified with him. So let's begin. The first thing to remember is that we must never separate the benefits, and that is this new life and this justification. We must never separate that from the one who gives them. Don't separate the benefits from the benefactor, who is Christ Jesus. The blessings are only possible through the one who has the power and desire to bless us. Not just from him, but through him. He is intimately involved with this process, and your relationship with him is paramount to your salvation, right? You must know, must go through the Son to get to the Father. And the entire process, this is choosing all the way through glorification. That whole process is the work of God in Christ and is by grace alone, grace, which is the unearned favor of your heavenly Father. And again, the order and terminology are discussed and debated among denominations and various Christian faiths. And this is demonstrated by you know, the way some view the appropriate age for baptism, Right? or the method of baptism. But let's press on and look at this journey and that order as described by the Apostle Paul in the Epistle of Romans. 
So first you were chosen from 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought always to thank you, thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work, the spirit, and through belief in the truth. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Secondly, you're called. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. This is God talking. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Second Thessalonians 2.14, he called you to this through our gospel. You might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 2.22, to this you were called. Again, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's how long ago you were called. Third, you are given a new life. John 3, 3 through 8. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus answered, he says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. It hears its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Fourth, you're converted. James 1.18. He chose us to give birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, if you listen, you, this isn't the first time he's used the term first fruits. And what does that mean? The first fruit is the best, the, the freshest, the, the whatever may be. Uh, and think about it. You go to the little cart at Walmart, what's the one you get? You know, there may be 100 apples there, but you get the best one, the first fruit. French fries, right? I don't know why I'm looking at you. Sorry. French fries. You, what, you eat the big, soft ones first, right? But it, I don't know why you do that because you end up eating the little crunchy ones at the end anyway. So... But it's true. You want the first fruit. God's saying you are the first fruit of all that I've created. You, you person, you man, woman, son, uh, you are the first fruit. You are the best and I designed you perfect and I choose you first. First Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Now to go on to justified which is fifth, Romans 5, 1 through 10. It says, Therefore, since you have been justified through faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Listen to this. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And this is just another example of one of God's processes of perfecting and maturing us. He doesn't necessarily punish us, but sometimes things happen, and he allows them to happen, and he takes that and uses it for the good, right? We learn the good, 
the trust in him so that these these sufferings, this perseverance that you have to go through to hang in there and go a little bit further, a little longer, you have to go in there because it's going to build perseverance. It's going to make you tougher and stronger. and It's going to build your character. Your parents ever tell you that? That's character building, right? It is. That's scriptural. Because it goes on. It says, you see, just the right time, and that's the trick. God's timing and not yours. Just the right time when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, right? Very rarely will anyone die for righteous persons, scripture says. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While you were still sinners, he died for us. Right? He didn't wait for us to get it right. We do not wait till we're perfect to come set foot in church and go, okay, we got it figured out. No, we come here because we're flawed. Each in our own way, each in a different way. And since we've been justified by his blood... How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And Paul's saying, and that's how much he loves you. He sent his son, he died for you. While you're still sinning, you weren't even perfect yet. There's this, there's this hope that someday you're going to get perfect, and I'm going to help you through that. I love you that much. Why would I not love and care for you to get you the rest of the journey? Six, you're adopted. Romans 8, 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, right? It's our Heavenly Father. It's, if you think about that, talk about perspective. That changes your total perspective in your prayer life. You're talking to Dad, right? You remember talking to your dad about anything? Or, or think of it this way. Dads when, or moms, um, sometimes you just want to hear from your kids. You know, especially when they're young, it doesn't even matter. Yes, dogs are brown sometimes, but you just love to hear from them, right? That's what God is. God the Father loves to hear from his children. 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished. And that lavish means it's, it's covered, it's heaping. So it's not just, I love you. It's like, I love you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Children of God, and that is what we are. So if you've gotten this far, you know, we've all been chosen and called and, and given new life and converted and then justified and adopted. If you get this far, then, then you're this part of sanctification. And this is most likely still happening. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you, God, you've been called, is faithful, and he will do it. He will get you there. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits. There it is again. God chose you as a first fruit to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Ephesians 1.13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal and promised Holy Spirit. This process of sanctification. Sanctification. Yeah. And then finally, you'll be glorified. And this is, this is not yet. Unless you've mastered perfection, and I wish that on everybody, but the reality is we're probably still going through this process of messing up and asking for forgiveness and, and being forgiven. But when you're glorified, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 14. 
But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. We know Jesus was raised and glorified, and he made the way for us. That's the plan. That's the process. Romans 8, 23 through 25. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. They groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. It's coming. It's coming. That's hope. And back to Romans 8.30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he, he also glorified. It's a promise, this process. Now I mentioned at the beginning of this time that I originally titled this week's message, Benchmarks. And you recall the definition that I shared as a measure of performance. And as such, it can't necessarily be undone. Once you've achieved this point, whatever that is, there's no turning back. For many of these milestones, they also serve as benchmarks. You are chosen. That remains unchanged. Once God chose you, you are always chosen. You are his chosen people, period. You are called. And like a bell that's been sounded, it can't be unrung. It's always been heard, right? And you are renewed. Your spiritual body was born again, as this week's scripture remember from 2 Corinthians 5.17 promises. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Did you hear that? The old is gone. No more. You cannot return to that old way. And you shouldn't want to. So on this list here, for however many boxes you've checked so far in your life, you are now that far along on your journey towards full maturity, towards complete salvation, wherever that may be. And at the point of sanctification, you may find yourself in the cycle of making mistakes, repenting, receiving forgiveness, and then you kind of dust yourself off, then you pick up the cross, and you go forward, looking forward in faith, saying, okay, boy, I really blew that. God, I am so sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness. Let's go again. And this may seem repetitive and pointless because we, we make different mistakes or sometimes we make the same mistake over and over and over and sometimes it's a big deal thing. I mean, we get so hung up on, on, well, I didn't kill anybody today, right? I didn't steal anything today. Wasn't that big of a lie, right? We get hung up on the Ten Commandments. We forget things that God commanded us to do. Love everyone. Forgive everyone. Love ourselves. Share the gospel. If you're not doing as he's commanded you, these are, these are sins too. God, I'm sorry. Yesterday, I really missed an opportunity to give a better example of how you wanted me to live my life. I'm going to dust myself off. I'm going to grab my cross, and I'm going to try again. Okay? That's the problem I have every day, every day. If it's not the same issue, it's a, it's a new one that I had kind of did the whack-a-mole thing, and I think I got that one handled, and, you know, that jerk cut me off, and now I'm thinking things that I didn't even think about yesterday, and now... You know, i got to apologize. So we're all going through the same process. And everyone else around us is too. It's just a part of getting to the glorification. And sanctification, this cleansing, this purification, this beautification, it's necessary. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. And it feels just, it feels gross, doesn't it? Just being called out and convicted so you can be cleansed of your iniquities. It doesn't feel good. 
the comfort and the peace and, and, and the poise that you are destined to enjoy, that isn't why you're doing this. It's, it's on the other side of this. It's when you look back after you've been sanctified and glorified and you say, I really messed up in my life, but here I am in God's presence. And that's behind me. But I want to warn you, and I've given you guys this warning before, my friends, it can be broken. The sanctification can be broken. It's, it can be done short-circuited in one of two ways. You can reach full maturity. You can get to glorification. And, you, and that's our goal, right? I, must, I make no more mistakes, nothing to apologize for, because I am as close to Christ as you can be, right? Do that, and you don't have to worry about this repenting thing anymore. And for the rest of us, the only danger is when we stop the cycle, right? We short-circuit by trying to get to the other end of sanctification without going through the process of submission, without going through the process of repentance. We just push on through the ugly because I'm going to get to heaven. And you forget that along the way, you got to say, I'm sorry, I messed up, right? And since God has promised to continually forgive, right? All that we have to do is humbly approach him and ask for forgiveness, and that means it's in our control. We finally have something we can control, right? I know you're thinking, oh, great. Every week I come up here and I say, stop trying to control how other people act. Stop trying to control how they think because it's just going to make you mad and you're not going to get anywhere. Stop trying to control those things that aren't yours to control. It just creates stress and anxiety. And your body doesn't love that stuff. That's why we take so many medications to keep this from hurting and this to hurt, right? But this is one thing you can actually do. All you have to do is cast your cares on, on God and you'll get that true peace. The things that you think about, that you worry about, that aren't yours to control, you give it to God. And that's not giving up, throwing your hands. It's like it's surrendering and the good kind of surrendering. Say, I, you can do so much better than, with this. Even, even the getting even stuff, he can do a much better job than I could do. That goes to him. The part I can control is when I mess up, is every time I can come back to him and go, I'm sorry, I'm going to try again, I'm going to try again, I'm going to try again. And there's no, there's humility in that, but there's no embarrassment because God says, I'll forgive you. You just keep up your part. You keep trying. I'll keep forgiving you, and we're going to get there. We're going to get there together. God made the first move. He chose you, right? He chose you before you were created. He calls to you. He sends gifts and opportunities and blessings your way, whether you realize it or not. Your health. Your, your job, your, the fact that you have air in your lungs and maybe had a good breakfast, maybe you're looking forward to a good lunch. These are blessings and, we, and, and God has sent all this stuff to you. He's made the first move because he wants you to succeed. And along the way, there are certain things that you can do and there are certain things that you must do. You must accept the calling. You must make a few all-important life-changing, let, let me think of that differently, life-renewing decisions. You must make those when the time comes. So what could you do to break this, this divine cycle of sanctification? What could you possibly do to keep it arm's length from that final goal? From getting where you and God both want you to be. And that's, that's it. It's just not recognizing or repenting your sin. And Why wouldn't you do this? Well, either you don't recognize the sin in your life, and sometimes we're guilty of this. You're like, eh, you know. It's not that big of a deal. Neither we aren't being fully honest with ourselves or, or we're not being fully honest with God about it. And sometimes it's ignorance. We, don't, we aren't familiar enough with, with what God's will for our life is. We know that what we're doing is wrong or what we're doing isn't what he called us to do. 
sometimes it's denial. Like this is such a bad, ugly feeling thing that I'm just going to kind of keep this over here in, in the dark corners of my life and, and just deny that it exists, right? Maybe it's deception. Maybe the world has convinced me that whatever this is or that's going on or I'm doing or doing isn't that bad. But remember who decides what's a salvation issue and who doesn't. Okay? It's not the world that decides what's good or bad or right or wrong. They may decide what's socially acceptable, but the rules of living are very clear and they have not changed. So regardless of why, there's no deceiving God. And the loving Father, the good judge that he is, he knows and he's very clear, sin is sin. And all have done it. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he offers this promise from 1 Corinthians 10.13. He says, no temptation, you've heard this before, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And that means there's room for a choice, right? A decision to avoid something or to stop something, right? There's always a choice. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you may endure it. There is hope for a full departure from the sinful living. We talked about this last week and how do we get to God. Remember the GPS says, I have no idea where I'm at. Reroute me, God. Get me to where I need to go. And I like to highlight a parallel that you may not have thought of. You know, we give our tithes and offerings a show of worship and faith and obedience. And, and God knows how much money you have and how you spend it and how much of it um, or what you think of it. And, and, and like I said, God doesn't need your cash. He doesn't need us to give as much as we need us to give so we can have that lesson on giving and sharing. So I'm like, God knows what you do. He knows what you've done, your words, your actions, and I hate to say this, but he knows your thoughts. Yeah, right? He doesn't need your confession as much as you do. He already knows this. But as the show of worship, faith, and obedience allows him to take his turn in the process to fulfill his promise and to bless you with forgiveness. You're saying, okay, God, you already know this, but I really messed up yesterday. I did this. Or I'm in the middle of doing something. Or, or worse, I'm about to do something horrible. Stop me. God already knew that was going on. That process of confession is for you. Part of sanctification. So this brings me back to the question, is it, is it possible to not be forgiven? Scripture tells us that God forgives completely and he remembers our sins no more. Hebrews 8.12. Yes, that's great. That's great. He fully forgives, not like we forgive, not conditionally. He fully forgives. But is there an unforgivable sin? Is there something that God says, I cannot, I can't look away from that? And the answer is yes, there is. And the Bible speaks of a single unforgivable sin and at the risk of teasing you. We're going to study it in a few weeks. Um, so watch the message, How to Ruin a Great Relationship, because that's what it is. It ruins that great relationship we have with our Father. But as I wind up here, I just want to say, friends, you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow travelers, we are on this important journey. I want you to look at the milestones and recognize where you are on this path and be mindful of all that God has done, um, all that has been done in God's name for the purpose of your salvation, either by Christ or by others, right? Maybe there's someone that helped you hear the calling. Maybe there's someone that helped you identify the sin for sanctification. Maybe there's someone that helps you understand what it truly means to be adopted son or daughter of God. And it's a very personal and specific request to, to stop and ask, where am I? And God knows exactly where you are, and it's likely that you're generally in some part of this process of sanctification. Because of this point, you've been chosen. Even before you're created, because of a sovereign good pleasure, God chose you to be saved, so you are chosen. 
and you've been called. God summoned you to himself through human proclamation of the gospel. So you have something to respond to. And you being here this morning is a response to the calling that says, okay, God, I want to know more. And you have been given life. God sovereignly imparted upon you a spiritual life to be filled by him upon your decision to accept it. So I ask this morning, have you accepted it? Have you been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? If not, don't leave this place without taking action. And if you've received your new life, then you have been converted. You have made the decision. You you have willingly responded to the gospel call. Repenting of sin and placing your faith in Christ Jesus for your salvation. You have been justified. Because God declared your sins forgiven and Christ's righteousness, this is Christ's pure righteousness, is now your righteousness too. That's right, you share in Christ's righteousness. You are not self-righteous. This is the real deal. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is nothing what you've done. It is purely a gift of God. And that's Ephesians 2.8. And he's adopted you. God made you a member of his family. He is truly your father and you are unconditionally his child. You are part of the family of the faithful with countless brothers and sisters in Christ, all of which have been individually and specifically chosen by God himself to be your brother and sister in Christ. And you are counted among them. Everyone in this room is counted among those. And now you're being sanctified. You're being refined through a progressive, lifelong work that's being accomplished in partnership with God and the Holy Spirit. I mean, talk about a great team. You're becoming free from the weight and cost of sin, and you're becoming more and more Christ-like. And remember, this is an ongoing process because we continually need to repent and be given for our faults for the day or, or maybe even the minute, you know? And in his time, you will be glorified. God will finally remove all the trace of sin, all the suffering, all the sorrow from your earthly body, and you will be given a resurrection body and receive the fulfillment of the promise of full salvation. So I say congratulations. I mean, bigger deal than 100 messages. When you've made it, it's not just because of your works, but through the grace of God made possible by the sacrifice of Christ's Son. And we can say hallelujah, right? We can say amen. And this is the eternal reward for committing your life to following Christ in faith, regardless of what age you were when you started that journey. And on that day, you'll be glorified with God and you will hear the words that many others have gone before you and they've heard. And those are, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you can sincerely echo Paul's words from 2 Timothy 4, 7 8. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. What a glorious day that'll be, right? I want those words said about me at my funeral. I have finished the race, right? I am, I've, I've kept the faith. And now what's coming to me is that crown of righteousness that I've been looking forward to my whole life. So let me offer a couple of reassurances as I wrap up from Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Psalm 37, 23. The Lord makes firm the steps of one who delights in him. Okay? Back to the, go back to the slide of the kids or go forward. You know, there's a couple kids running across creek and you can probably tell their personalities. Doesn't care. This is probably your daredevil. These are the, uh, <laughs> these are the scaredy cats. But he makes firm this, their steps, all right? Those, look at the rocks. He makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. 
And I love this from Ezekiel 36, 27. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And you've got this thing where you want to call it a conscience, you want to call it whatever. You've got the Holy Spirit in you and it says, this is the way to go. This is what to do. This is what to say. And God wants you to reach full maturity in your faith to complete this journey and receive full salvation. Not achieve salvation, but to receive salvation. Because God delights in presenting this marvelous gift to you. So listen to the words of encouragement we offer to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is your key to life. Do you hear his words? God calls on all heaven, all earth, and all witness to this choice you're going to make. So what do you decide, right? Your presence here this morning, it indicates the choices of your past, what you've done in the past to get you here. And they brought you to this place, this current benchmark, this current milestone. So, But what do you do now? This is where it gets important. And I want you to know that you're surrounded both in heaven and this community by friends. Again, brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to finish the race. They want you to finish the race that was set out in front of you long before you're even aware that you were on it. And if we as your church or if I as your pastor can do anything to help, support, or encourage you in any way, don't be silent. Right? Don't leave this place without accepting the blessing of Christian love and accountability that we have to offer you. Whether you come forward at the end of the service or request special prayers or counseling or just need to chat during the week, choose to take a step. You join me in prayer. Father God, we, we went deep this morning. It always feels good to, to talk about the encouraging words of the scripture that tell us to hang on and pursue faith and hope and love. But God, this morning we dug deep into this process of salvation, the, the real meat of what we're called to do. And this week we just want to reflect, God, on, on where we are and convict our hearts of what we need to do next. If there's a decision that needs to be made, a step that needs to be taken, uh, a repentance that needs to be spoken, God, we ask that you invoke the Holy Spirit that's in each one of us to keep us moving in this path. God, as always, I want to conclude this service by praying for this church, the congregation gathered here, those that listen to these messages online. I want to thank you for this building that has kept us warm and dry this morning. And as always, for the empty places and the pews, the reminder they serve that there's always place and a time to welcome and encourage others into relationship with you. God, I ask your forgiveness over all our sins, and I ask that you help us to go forward humbly into this week. Amen.